Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest Lace Partners HR on the Offensive podcast. Hello, it's Chris from Lace Partners, and it's a duet today. I've got my usual partner in crime, and uh, that's Emma Leonis and Ems. I've been thinking, just before we went live, I was thinking about what crime-fighting duo we're going to be this week, and the best I could come up with was Detective Scott Turner and Hooch. Now, I'll be hooch in this instance because you really shouldn't be uh, referencing a lady. Uh, For those of you that that know the film Turner and Hooch, you'll know what I'm talking about in that particular way. So I'm going to make it easy for you. You can be Detective Scott Turner, played by the wonderful Tom Hanks for the, uh, the purposes of this podcast today. Thank you very much, Chris. And I do like Tom Hanks. So, uh, well, Well, who doesn't? (laughs) Lovely man. A lovely man. Yeah. We're not here to talk about Tom Hanks today, though. We are here to talk about a recent webinar that we did, which was it took place in May, and it was called Hello Business Advisor, and you hosted it. You hosted the wonderful Val Dale from Agreco, mm-hmm. and also Jane Trail from Syngenta. And what I thought that we would just do today is perhaps just maybe first and foremost touch on the, the focus of that particular webinar, because this was the third of our mm-hmm. HR shared services uh, webinars, which were uh, took take place off the back of the research that we did in November last year, which is the future of HR shared services becoming people and solutions experts. I always need to remember the full title of it. It is quite a long title. Yep. About that. I'll do better but, next uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this particular ch- chapter was chapter five. So before we talk about what we actually talked about in the webinar, can you just give us a bit of an overview just for our listeners on that that particular chapter and the, uh, and the areas that we focus on? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's a really interesting chapter because at the kind of nub of it, really, it's all about capabilities within HR shared services and obviously the broader premise and context to the the paper is starting to change some of the traditional perceptions perhaps that there might be around HR shared services as purely an operational service provider there to do what it's told be brilliant at the basics be brilliant at transactional and admin tasks but not necessarily do much more than that so when we kind of thought about that it posed the question well What capabilities do you need to be great at the operational side? But also if we're trying to push the bar a little bit, um, particularly as we talk about wanting to elevate the role of business partners and and thinking about the roles of COEs in the future, what therefore might that mean for the role of shared services when it comes to perhaps doing things differently, maybe focusing on experience, focusing perhaps more on that day-to-day more complex advisory support that could potentially be provided from a shared service team. So that chapter is genuinely all about capabilities. And in there, as I say, we explore both the operational side and more of the value adding side. And it's quite interesting because I think, at least from the participant standpoint, the 25 organisations that we spoke to, they definitely see a shift. Um, They're on that journey of, of building new capabilities. And there are a few things in there which are quite interesting, particularly around the softer skills, perhaps, that we might need to build or we might need to buy slash borrow. 
depending on how you look at it, because I think as a leader, you've got to get, got to make that choice as to where do I invest in building my own team's capability from scratch and the career path around that versus actually where might I want to inject some new fresh thinking, some new mindsets and potentially hire a completely different type of individual, at least background wise to maybe what you would have hired before. So people from cost customer contact or actually an operational person in the business, for example. Yep. And uh, let's talk about this specific webinar as well. I'm flipping it a little bit. If you listen to the webinar, the particular conversation that Ems and I are going into now happens towards the, it the does. latter it's stages the of the half. webinar yeah. itself. It's the second half where we talk about talent. But let's start there, given that that's where the, the focus was. And I thought it was quite interesting that Jane um, referenced that she'd brought somebody in from her team into I from the IT department. Mm. So I thought that was quite fascinating because... I think there's been, and again, I'll probably get you to talk about this more because you're more experienced than I am, but I certainly feel like I've heard a lot less of that in recent years, that kind of moving people across. And I wonder if Syngenta is an example, in your opinion, of more and more businesses that will be looking outside of their own uh, skill sets. Yeah, I think absolutely it is. So if I think about some of the, the skills around, let's take curious thinking, for example. Um, continuous improvement and being comfortable with ambiguity, that kind of grey area, because a lot of advice actually that's given is in the grey area. It's not a simple yes or no. It's, well, what do I think around that? Let me investigate a bit more. And then also being comfortable with data and using data to draw insights, thinking about the traditional HR career path. You know, you would have come in maybe as an HR advisor, you'd have done end-to-end -end delivery and administration support. So some recruitment work, some some casework, that type of thing, which is brilliant. So the technical expertise is there, but actually coaching someone through a really difficult conversation and thinking about the emotional intelligence with that, mining into, well, why are we doing this in this way? Sometimes if you've come from a background that's completely different you see things in a totally different way, which enables you to ask sometimes the obvious question, frankly, why are we doing this? How could we do it differently? If you come from a business context, and that could be in IT, it could be you know, someone who's been, I don't know, they might have worked in, in a store, for example, in a retail environment, been a store manager, and then wants a completely different career and decides to go internally into HR. You then bring that business context and the true I really understand what it's like on the ground because I've been there as a customer, in inverted commas, point of view. So I definitely don't think that, that Jane and Shingenta are alone in that. We saw it in a couple of the organisations in the research itself. Um, I think it was uh, Aviva. They brought um, a number of individuals from the contact centre or a direct line as well into their customer facing. So internal customer facing shared service teams. And that had changed a bit of the mindset in the team, mm. a fresh perspective, fresh thinking, putting oneself directly in one's shoes because I've been there before. And also I'm used to thinking about what does great external customer service look like to people? So I think mm. they found that really, really quite energizing actually for the team. But I think there's also then that question of, you know, how do you upskill the people that you've already got as much as also bringing in other fresh talent? Because I think you do need to do both. And the career pathways question is a is a fascinating one. And I'm not yet convinced we've fully got our arms around that as to what the answer is yet for the future yeah. of the service world. Yeah, it's interesting there. And Em's in the um in the webinar itself, you talk about that kind of um having the right type of skills versus having the behaviors as well. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. um, one of the things that Jane 
uh, had talked about in the webinar was how important it was that leadership teams are actually embracing this kind of idea of um, you need to make sure that you're you've got the right people in that are actually exhibiting the right type of behaviors. Um, yeah. I think that's certainly from a mindset perspective, that's certainly important. I think there's also something and Val had touched on this as well. There's also something around being able to be strong as a team. Um, one of the things that um, she talked about in the webinar was that because you were talking about coaching specifically, mm -hmm. she was talking about coaching. She was saying, you know, my team are almost so helpful that they're too helpful. And as a result, they take too much time, perhaps on the, on the coaching side, and they don't allow for a little bit more of the, the self-service route. So, you know, is there any, do you have any thoughts around kind of finding that balance between that one-to-one -one coaching side and the, you need to stand on your own two feet a little bit there? Yeah, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because where do you draw the line? And what we don't want to happen is that in order to kind of rein things back a little bit, it's to the detriment of ultimately providing the support that that individual needs from their HR, shared service advisor or specialist, whatever your model might be. So I think it's the first few times, absolutely, right? You've got to invest quite a lot of time in making sure that that individual is confident with what you've given them as advice. But also over time, thinking around how can we start to step back and how what trends are we seeing? Are we seeing maybe that there's more of an uptick in people now looking at more self-service content on that particular topic, for example, that you've been consulting on, which might mean that therefore people are becoming more confident, perhaps, in, in doing things. There could be a reduction in also the, the queries that come in on those topics. So when you do get them, that's either telling you two things. It's telling you, one, that that individual really, really needs support because they've come through to you when everybody else has managed to, to self-serve. Or it might be telling you, but actually, as well as that, you could potentially spend slightly less time coaching because they've got all of these other thing, tools at their fingertips that you know work because they've worked for yeah. others. But but at the end of the day, I, there isn't really an answer to that question. I think it's it's a gut feel. You know, you've got to give your team the confidence to be able to know when to to step back and say, I've done all I can right now. Go and have that conversation. I'm still here if you need me. And that's the important thing as well. It's, it's making that individual that you're coaching as part of a people manager coaching capacity within shared services. That individual should feel like they can come back at any point in time if they need further support. Otherwise, yeah. you're effectively just cutting them completely off. And that is not a good experience if someone needs further help down the line. No, exactly. It's always about that balance, isn't it? It's always about that balance. And um, one of the things that I did want to just get your view on, because I thought this was interesting in the webinar when you talked about, so you gave the reference of, uh, you know, the state of shared services report, 60% of professionals um, from this is so this is from the shared services outsourcing network state of shared services report. Let me just give it its full title there. They're even better at uh, longer titles than we are. They are. But 60% <laughs> of professionals in shared services have between one to three years tenure mm. and just 45% remaining within the business. And that, like you said, that's that's not specifically, um, you know, it's not HR specific. No. Do you think that there's an issue in HR with attracting people from other parts of the business? I would say probably yes to an extent. I don't think it's a it's a huge issue, but I do think there is a still a slight sort of PR challenge as to well what would 
a career in HR look like, kind of what's in it for me, um, and making it sexy, if, if, if I use that phrase. Um, and that actually, interestingly, Chris, came through in our first white paper, HR on the Offensive, which is obviously the, the overall title for all of our campaigns now, when we spoke to a number of HR directors overall across HR, they were saying, we really do struggle sometimes to get talent into our teams because people look at HR and, and they just think all we do is solve really complex problems with line managers, i.e. Com- complaining, whinging individuals, um, or we just do kind of data admin and that kind of thing. So, well, actually, no. When you When you really look at what the HR team does it's at the heart of business strategy and executing that it's it can be fascinating and it can be fantastic but I don't think we necessarily sell that story and tell sort of the the anecdotes of what people are doing and and what they achieve through that and and how they've grown in their careers so unless you market yourselves internally in the right way can you really possibly expect to get the right talent I'd, I'd question that so I do think there is a little bit more we could do around selling that story and what a career could look like and actually you know that kind of one to three years tenure piece you know overall for 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 shared services as a whole isn't necessarily a bad thing because we all know that individuals want change through their careers Um, you need people who come in who inject great ideas great talent get some great experience and move on but you also need people who come in inject great ideas and stay so having that mix is not a bad thing at all. I don't know what the percentage would be within HR. I mean, that would be very interesting to, to find out. And maybe in a part two, we will watch this space. Um, but yeah, I think there's probably more that we could do to just attract those that don't see perhaps moving into HR as a whole or HR shared services as part of their first choice of an internal move. I definitely think yeah. we could. Yeah. So on a question on that, because one of the things that, a stat which Val said actually, and I don't think it was from her. I think it was she was talking about another one of the participants in the research. She was talking about how she'd heard that they can predict to within ninety-five percent accuracy uh, when somebody's going to leave the business within six to nine months. That doesn't sound to me, and again, I just take your views on this. That doesn't sound to me that it would be too simple to then identify. That feels a very black and white data focused approach towards your longer term planning of talent how do you do that if you're trying to get a balance of those people that you want to stay within the organization you know they're the people that operate at a consistently decent level and maybe they don't want to just jump jump in you know high flies and then jump out or you know that that sort of churn how can you as a business effectively plan for your talent in the future with that kind of from the data perspective but then also be mindful of the human side of it which is well these people are I don't want to the word that was coming to my head is really um derogatory and I don't mean it to be derogatory I was was thinking the word plodders it's not I don't mean that a plodder but somebody who is just they're fixed within their role and they're good at what they do and they Mm -hmm. don't have that ambition to well in three years time I'm gonna I'm gonna jump out how can you so what's my question here I guess it's how do you predict how can you honestly plan for the future when you've got these two different kind of sets of people that Mm -hmm. you're trying to to get the right balance of within your team yeah no it's a fascinating question Um, and I think that statistic that that you quoted was just in general right across the entirety of a business just being able to predict Mm -hmm. sort of the degree of of accuracy that 90 percent around levers versus people that will stay I think this comes down to we've talked about it before you know having 
those clearly identified segments of your workforce from a talent mapping and talent planning point of view. So if you're saying that actually success for us in what we think are kind of chemistry, really, it's a bit like baking, right? You've got different ingredients in different amounts. If you're saying, actually, we would like to have a mix of people that come in and inject talent, two years, move on. What percentage of that might 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 that be that's right for you in your mix versus those that actually maybe stay for five years, those that stay for a long, long time, as you've said, you know, the steady individuals that do fantastic work, love the job and just want to stay in that shared service environment. And then you can also go down to the level of the talent planning around career paths. How do you get them in? How do you develop them? Um, but also as part of that development, there'll be some individuals that only ever want to, quite quite frankly, and I've seen it, I've you know, seen it in my friends as much as also seen it in, in organisations, people that just want to stay at a certain level, they act because they love what they do, they don't want to be a team lead or they don't want to be, you know, the overall head of shared services. And there's nothing wrong with that. If they're fantastic at doing what they do, embrace that. But you've got, to, to answer your question, I don't think you can know with certainty, but I think you can have a view in your talent pool makeup of those kind of pools of talent, roughly therefore the mix to get to that 100%, and then use the right data points with the right AI, which is what I think Val was getting at, using AI to drive that view of, if this person comes in, I'm pretty sure that in three years' time, they'll want to do something different. Yeah. And it, it, it's building that profile of the individual, I guess, both from what they want from a career, the skills that they'll bring, um, et cetera, to bring that into the mix. And yeah. that's no easy task at all. No, certainly isn't. And actually, can we just stay on that data question, actually, because that was one of the things that when you asked Val um, about the the way in which it was ranked, because obviously we had um, operation red service excellence in at number two of that uh, five piece chart. And again, if you want to have a look at the webinar, there's a slide on the webinar, which Ems brings up just to show the different areas. Um, and Val had said that she was surprised that data and analytics in terms of the skill set mm. wasn't higher up on the list because she talked about it enabling you to make decisions and change the mindset of how HR is perceived within the business if you're using data effectively. So were you, are you kind of with Val in that? Did you expect it to be higher up on the list um, in terms of skills and requirements you're expecting? Yeah, it, in some ways I did. And then in some ways I'm sort of not surprised where it ended up. And I think in the report, we actually talk about that because there were polarised views on it. There were people that said, absolutely, it needs to be in my top one or two skills. And then there were others that said, actually, it's probably towards the end of the list. Um, and the reasons for that were quite interesting. I think what they were kind of wondering was, actually, is this a specialist skill set for shared services or is this something for the whole of, of HR or for the business, frankly, because you could have an analytics and insights function that's for your organisation as a whole not just yeah. uh, for HR or even HR shared services uh, being part of that. There was also then the conversation around you've got to be able to A, get data and then B, use it comfortably if you're going to drive continuous improvement. And the argument with that one, which is where it came up in the sort of ones or twos of priorities, as in top, was we want to continuously improve and we want to focus on service excellence and customer experience. So to do that, we need the data and we need to be able to analyse and interpret data, analytics, etc. So that's how you kind of got the two polarised views. Should it be something that's just our discrete skill set? If we don't think it is, then it was lower down the list. 
if it is key for us and it's key for continuous improvement, then that's where some people said it was higher. Therefore, as an average, it kind of comes out sort of in the middle, which is why it was in that sort of top four or five. And then the other bucket, which was a very big bucket um, of the seven core areas that I asked about in the research, that other bucket really came to the fore around those softer, more relationship, um, change management type skills came to the fore. Yeah. Can I make a football reference? On this, if you uh, must, you are you are dressed in your football attire I, today. They can't see, see but you are in your Arsenal gear. They can't see that, but yeah, um, <laughs> what pops into my mind as a as a football fan is uh, football at the moment as becoming more and more data led. A lot of yeah. things, actually, not just yeah. sport. A lot of sports, a lot of business. You know, everything's becoming data led. And so when teams are looking at what player should be joining my organisation, um, there's a school of thought which is. We'll go with the data. What's his pass rate? What's his pass uh, metrics? What are his um, uh, pass completion rep? What's his sprint speeds? How much distance does he cover? All of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then you've got the other side of it, which is the softer skills, which is how does he fit in within the team? Does, does culturally he fit within mm -hmm. this business? Or she, obviously male, mm -hmm. female football teams, but um, you know, do they fit in? And so that's where this kind of, and my team, um, uh, I'll cough it quietly, <coughs> Arsenal. There's a lot of Arsenal fans that are talking about why aren't we more data-led? Or there was a big uh, hoo-ha within football where Arsenal have sacked a lot of their scouts and they've effectively said, we're going to focus more on the data-led side of finding players. But actually, as you've kind of been talking about with those softer skills versus the data analytics piece, mm. it's finding a piece in the middle, isn't it? It's finding that that ability to find people that work for culture as well as you know on paper that sort of side of it too yeah exactly and you know overall and this is a personal opinion I would be tempted if I was hiring and obviously in our day-to-day -day job at Lace I do do that but if I was a shared service person head of HR shared services or global business services I'd be tempted to say I would take someone who has cultural fit over someone who's technically brilliant assuming that in the interview the individual who had cultural fit and shared values and the appetite to learn genuinely has the appetite to learn and learn in the right way with the right mindset because you can teach so much. But that kind of wanting to be part of something and granted, not every role needs you to be part of a team. There are plenty of roles where you can act as an individual, owning your own work, feeding into something else. You don't have to be part of something bigger. But most of us a want to be part of something bigger and b you are part of a team typically, in, in doing what you do and working with other stakeholders. So that ability to really gel is so important, I think. Mm, definitely. Is. But that's my you know, personal view, right? That not everyone would share that. No, no, I think that's, to me personally, that fits with with my, my I'm aligned. I think we're aligned on that one. Um, and the cultural question is an interesting one, because I'm going to bring us back towards the start mm -hmm. of the actual webinar itself, because uh, the first question that you posed to, to the ladies was, how do you deliver cost-effective employee-centric services given the geographic challenges. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this was a fascinating discussion actually because both Syngenta and um, Agreco and I'm sure many of the businesses that you work with as well ha have a challenge of you'll have a few organizations which have you know a large bulk of their staff in a small small number of countries and then a long tail as it is. And I think one of the examples I can't remember if it was Val or um, Jane had said you know, 120 people in America and one person in Ghana. How do you maintain 
the mm. same level of like the culture within an organization when you have those differences just a general I guess question just general thoughts from your perspective as to what you've seen what you heard from Jane and Val is, is there anything that you took away from that discussion that you thought was interesting mm. yeah because we were sort of exploring as you say how do you make it cost effective yet how do you make the people that you are supporting so the employees and line managers and business leaders and that you're supporting as your shared service teams feel that they're getting the right level of service and therefore that it is employee centric I mean as with all of these things that there, there clearly isn't a silver bullet and that therefore there isn't a one-size-fits-all which is interesting because I was reflecting on this and there'll be organizations out there that will say we've got we're going to have regional hubs and I think that's a great thing because you then start to get nearer, physically proximate to the people that you're serving. Granted, we can now work you know, in more of a virtual way than ever before, but still from a time zone standpoint, that ability to be relatively proximate to your customer is important. So you've got regional hubs. The question then is, well, actually, should all of that be potentially in-house? Should it be outsourced? Because that's a cost question. Um, and the cost question comes into play when you have scale. So typically you'd outsource where there is scale, very unlikely that you would outsource where you've only got, you know, 10 employees, as you said there, for example, Krishna, 10 employees in the country, because there just isn't the scale for a provider to give you bang for your buck to do that. But should you outsource all of it or do you actually have a hybrid model? And that's fascinating because we did talk about that on, on the webinar um, and Jane was giving some examples of that from her own experience. So not every market or every region needs to have the same service delivery model in the sense of in-source, outsource, as long as the outcome is the same, i.e. it's cost effective and it feels employee centric. The way that you deliver that might not matter because does it matter to the employee? Not really. They don't really care how you deliver the service as long as they get what they need at the right time to the right quality and they feel supported. So that for me was quite an interesting one because there are a handful of organizations that I can think of that have that hybrid in-source, outsource type model. Most tend to do all or nothing, um, one or the other, but there isn't a right nor wrong. Um, and no. it poses very interesting questions then as to how you manage that as well at a global level. You know, what teams do you need? What capabilities do you have to manage that when you've got a mix of local teams? So some of those local teams genuinely might be in the UK. You might have, I don't know, 100 people in the UK as your employees so you have one person in the UK supporting that the rest of your business might be in Europe could be France Germany you've got big bulk there so your service center might be more in continental Europe so you've also got a hybrid model there of locally retained teams and then more of a centralized team or a virtual team and some of that could be in-sourced some of it could be outsourced that could be your kind of query management it could be recruitment's outsourced then APAC might have a total in-house model might be all, all retained organisation. So just quite fascinating. And there is no one size fits all. And that's what I think makes shared services and the service delivery element of that so fascinating yeah. as, a, as a proposition and as a challenge as a business grows or retracts in size, changes its geographies that it operates in, changes its service proposition. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, as I, again, I think it was Jane that was talking about this. Um, you've got, or well, it might have been Val, I don't know, but um, it was... They were talking about the language challenges as well. So you've got yep. language challenges that that, that crop yep. up for for organisations. You know, you've also what I thought was interesting was Jane. I'm sure it was Jane was mentioning that there were some people like the people within your business as well all have different requirements. Some people want to sit at their desk. They want to 
have an issue and they want to go over there to talk to Mike, who works in mm -hmm. HR, and say, Mike, I just need to ask this question about X. Mm -hmm. Other people are just going to be quite happy to, I don't know, get on chatbot Mike um, and, yep. you know, fire a, a query away and get their answer, you know, because they'll, they'll want that element. So, as you said, it's not one size fits all. That will impact the human beings that work within the business because everyone has their different requirements, the culture within the business as well, yeah. because some businesses will culturally just find it very difficult to just say, right, we're just going to take everything, bundle it all up and send it out to mainland Europe and then everyone else can just deal with it because they may feel actually the backlash that we're going to get within the business is going to be too much for us. There'll be there'll mm -hmm. be too much noise. So as you said, no silver bullet. And I think that that view was very much shared by uh, the team that uh, that did the webinar on the day. Yeah. But I think you, what you've kind of hit on there, Chris, is something that's super important, which is no matter what the solution, it's the change management aspect around that that's yeah. really, really important. So if you've got a population of individuals that are so used to face to face support that, you know, that's just going to be an absolute nightmare to rip it out. Yet the right solution is to make it virtual support. That is going to require quite a lot of dedicated change management and the sellers to what's in it for me and how it's going to be better. It actually might mean that you maybe take a different deployment approach. You perhaps pilot certain things before doing a full big bang of, of changing that service delivery model and going from face to face to fully remote, for example. It might be kind of a, a transition phase. And that's the other thing I think that sometimes we underestimate. We talk about it with broader HR transformation, but particularly with this type of thing, even if you're bringing a new service into scope of shared services and you've got a fully mature shared service organisation, you're just bringing more service in. That could be quite a big change for people, either because of language, because of time zone, because it's virtual versus face to face. It's changing roles and responsibilities. It's changing contact channels and requires real thought around it as well. But again, yeah. that's, I would say that's what I think makes it quite quite exciting as a proposition. <laughs> so we are coming towards the end of uh, this podcast. They always go so quickly when you and they I do. do. That's true, actually. Uh, but I just wanted to just give you the opportunity, if there's anything else that you can just think of from that particular chat. As I said, um, we will, in the show notes for this podcast, um, we'll put the link to the webinar itself. The webinar goes on for about 59 minutes-ish, about an hour. Um, and there's some really, really interesting ones. There's some, some great questions from some of the, the audience as well towards the end, which we haven't touched so much mm. on. There was there's a there's, there's a conversation that, that you guys had, particularly from a Workday perspective, because both Syngenta and Greco are on Workday. So there was a couple of questions around configuring Workday and bits like that, which um, if people want to listen to, they can. But was there anything else just before we wrap up that you wanted to just touch on that I might have forgotten? And then uh, if I just hit the uh, stop button, you'll say, you didn't talk about this. <laughs> not not massively I was just sort of reflecting and I guess perhaps the only thing is you know towards the end of the discussion we asked around what we thought the biggest impacts of I guess the new world of working um, mm. and future of work for shared services might be and I think in the discussion we got to the I think we had time we might not have done but I think we might have talked about kind of some of the stats again from the broader shared service um, and outsourcing network research which is again across all kind of global shared services not just for HR but they were saying things around you know 32 percent of the organizations that were in that survey talked about more resilient service delivery I'd love to dig into that resilient in what sense 
Is that mm. because we've now got the enablers digitally because we've had no choice but to for organisations that didn't have you know the ability to virtually collaborate before or have robust HRIS platforms or if they've not got that just service delivery technology like a case management tool maybe or is it capabilities because actually we've had to be pretty resilient all of us in HR over the past 12 months plus, um, particularly compared to, to other parts of the business. I think, you know, there's research out there and stats around just how burnt out and tired HR is feeling compared to other parts of the business, perhaps more so. So I don't know whether it's around that. And then the other thing they were also talking about in that same piece was, you know, talent, you know, 16% of people said would have better access to, to talent pools. And I was surprised that was so low because mm. for me, surely that's one of the biggest benefits of this potentially virtual hybrid world of work now you, you've got to focus on well, what do I need to get done and who's the best person for it kind of shouldn't really matter necessarily where they are with the tools exactly. enabled we've got so that slightly surprised me but um yeah that was towards the end of the conversation so we didn't have too long to delve into that too much yeah but it's certainly worthwhile having a listen if you do get the time we'd we'd recommend that you do that and um, brilliant ems as always really great to talk to you we probably could have talked about this for hours and hours and hours but we shall let our wonderful listeners go hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast and you'll listen to more of our podcast and i will certainly be getting emma on many many more or as she has been termed today uh, detective scott turner and i'll be <laughs> i'll be hooch in this particular instance ems thanks for joining us no, thanks, Chris. I'm looking forward to um, our next duo, what I'm, what we're both going to be next time. <laughs> <laughs> I might let you pick it. I might let you pick it next Ooh, time. Oh, OK. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. You can catch this uh, podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud. If you go onto Lace Partners website, you can find us at uh, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Uh, we are we're usually wherever you get your podcasts. So just search for HR on the offensive and we shall speak to you next time. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.